You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All right, everybody, happy Friday and welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. I'll tell you what. Today, we have a kick-ass podcast. It's with a gentleman from Louisiana. His name is Hayward Ratcliffe, and Hayward talks to us today about how he grew up in a family that relied on meat, so he didn't know what it was like to hunt for antlers, and then as he got older, he understood about all the the people who found antlers important and we talk about that transition we talk about how he transitioned from compound to trad gear uh, and how with the help of his children and with the help of trad gear he has kind of gone back to what he originally started hunting for and that was meat and the love of the hunt and not necessarily about antlers. So that's what today's podcast is about. And I'll I'll be honest when I say that these are the kind of podcasts that I really enjoy the most. Hearing stories about how hunting is life and and how hunting maybe even changed their life or it's been in their life from day one. And uh, I really like these, you know, don't get me wrong. I love a good big buck story as much as the next guy. I love a strategy story as much as the next guy. But when you get these podcasts together that start talking about the love of hunting uh, and his love for archery, which you'll find out in this podcast as well, it's just, it's, it's good to know that it's not all about big bucks all the time and uh that's what today's podcast is about man uh pretty it's it's a really good bs session that's what i'll say but today ripcord archery now i've i've used ripcord rests for multiple years and they have been a partner on this podcast for multiple years and it's it's refreshing to know that there's a company out there and there's multiple companies like this in the industry but we're going to use ripcord as an example who are focused on customer service and are focused on making products for bow hunters and you ask keith the one of the owners of the company he will tell you that they are making products for bow hunters and that 
it's high quality products and it's about made in America and it's about customer service and all these things kind of when mixed together, you get ripcord arrow rests and their products speak for themselves. And it's one of those products where dare I say, if unless something crazy happens, I will have a ripcord rest on my bow until the day I die. There's no real reason for another one. So I'm a huge fan of their products. If you haven't ever tested one or tried one or looked looked into one, I strongly suggest that. And you can do that at ripcordarrowrests.com or just Google ripcord arrowrest and uh, check it out, man. They got a limb-driven system and they have the string the cable driven system as well i'm a huge fan of the cable driven system has yet to fail me and uh, like i said man when you when you're using a product like that and the the consistency is there the durability is there uh it's there's no real reason to change so i'm a huge fan so with all that said enough of me running my mouth as always Let's get into today's BS Session podcast with Hayward Ratcliffe. All right. Today's guest sent me a message on Facebook, and it said, if you ever want to have a BS session about hunting misadventures of a Louisiana redneck, give me a holler. And for some reason, that caught my attention, and I said, I want to have this guy on the podcast because he sounds a lot like me or or how I would approach somebody if I wanted to be on their podcast. So Hayward Rat is it Ratcliffe? Yes, sir. Hayward Ratcliffe. How you doing today, man? Man, I'm doing great. How about you? Oh. I can't complain, man. I'm getting ready to go on vacation in a couple days, so I only have one and a half days or about two days of work left and then I'm on vacation for four days. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I think we're going to take, try to take a vacation uh, this following, not this weekend, but the following weekend. Good. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be good. Good deal. So, whereabouts in Louisiana do you live, and what do you do for a living? All right, so I'm in the northwest corner of Louisiana. I was born and raised here, and uh, I'm an industrial instrumentation and valve technician, and I run a field service department for a company that builds, manufactures, remanufactures, uh, control valves, and industrial instrumentation. Wow. So that sounds you know complicated. That, <laughs> that sounds complicated. Uh, it can it can be, but in, in latest terms, I work on the machinery that allows somebody like, say, Homer Simpson <laughs> to push his button and something happen out inside of the nuclear plant or whatever facility I'm working at to happen. So... I deal with automation and mechanical, electrical, pneumatic type stuff. Gotcha. There's actually a, a company here in Iowa called Viking Pump, and they manufacture mm-hmm. a lot of uh, pumps and valves and similar uh, instrumentation. Right. So, mm-hmm. I, I kind of know. I kind of know what you're talking about. How long have you done that? Right. Oh, let's see. I got uh, my. Uh, instrumentation degree in february of 2001 so 17 years 17 years same job for 17 yeah. years that's impressive no well no sir not the same line of work not oh, the same gotcha. employer gotcha 
I I've been you. with I have been with the, my current employer for ten years. Um, but I worked construction. I've traveled all over the all over the country, building facilities, doing instrumentation and control valve installations all over the country. So I've been all over. Nice. So when you say you said Northwest Louisiana, right? Yes, sir. Now, how far are you from the the like the the border of Texas or what's above you? Arkansas, right? Arkansas. Yes, sir. I am twelve miles south of Arkansas and about forty miles east of the Texas line. I'm about uh, if you look at the major city that's close to us is Shreveport, Bossier. And I'm about 40 minutes drive from there. And my office is actually just in the outskirts of the town. Okay. So I drive about 30 minutes there to work every day. Right. So I've uh, talked to, man, a handful of guys from Louisiana who are hardcore deer hunters and uh, hardcore deer hunters on public land or uh, wherever. Um, and mm-hmm. they say, depending on where you're at, some parts of Louisiana can be really good hunting and some parts of louisiana are are pretty tough so where you hunt and the the area that you kind of grew up in and cut your teeth hunting how was the 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 deer population and the hunting there well where i grew up hunting is um a piece of public property and it's about thirty four thousand acres it's one continuous piece it's a it's a wildlife management area here in northwest louisiana and my dad's property uh where i grew up that he has 24 acres a little farm and on the, the our back fence was the border of the wma so i was born and, and raised on basically with a thirty-four thousand acre backyard right that was in in a bayou river uh, swamp bottom so the game was plentiful so i you know i was raised hunting small game rabbits and squirrels um running coon dogs at night uh, we a lot of deer hunting, but the we had a lot of full freezers, but not a lot of antlers on the wall. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so you know the the quality of bucks here seems like it's blossomed in the past year since I've been an adult. But when I was a kid in the you know the late eighties, early nineties, when I learned to hunt, it was you know we were hunting for for food my family was raised my dad's family when they were young you know they were raised uh kind of i wouldn't say poor but the most of their food came from the woods and the and the, the creek you know they fished and hunted basically for a living what they didn't grow you know on a farm right so that's where I, my hunting heritage come from it's always been part of my life it hasn't been ever you know i wasn't one of those guys that had that was introduced to it i was born into it yeah so i've never known anything different so i you know i I talked to guys and they're like well i you know i learned how to hunt when i was 20 you know in college and it kind of blows my mind because when i was growing up i thought everybody hunted and fished you know what i'm saying i didn't i didn't know there were people that didn't so that's kind of where, you know, my background comes from. I was just born into it. Right, right. So now that, you know, com- coming from 
a, a family and a background where you your main priority or your family's priority was about getting meat and food for the family, whether that was a deer or a squirrel or a rabbit or whatever. And now you see how deer hunting has morphed into big bucks, right? Everybody's got to shoot a big, right. big, big buck. What do you think of that? Right. Well, you know, when I when I was a, a kid, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm pretty sure me and you are the same age. I'm, I'm 37. Yep, I am too. And, uh, and so when I was a kid and I'm, you know, early nineties, 10, 11 years old. And then on up to the time I graduated high school in the late nineties, you know, nobody talked about inches of antler or age of the buck or anything like that. I never remember being at, you know, our, you know, hunting camp where we call a deer lease here. And the older gentlemen, you know, that were killing deer, that, that was never a discussion. It was never a competition as to who killed the, the bigger buck it was always you know you got your buck and and how how the hunt go and there was always seemed to be more detail about the story involved and everybody was happy you know what i'm saying so there didn't ever seem to be like a big you know contest about the, the inches of antler and then as i got out of high school i took a uh a little high to of hunting for a while because I started, you know, chasing girls. Yeah. And then when I circled back around to hunting after I got, you know, uh, let's see, my wife, we've been together, we've been married for 10 years and, and we're together for four years before that. So kind of when I, me and her started dating and I kind of settled down, I stopped traveling so much. I kind of got back into hunting. Well, then that was still in the early ages of social media. Yep. So we didn't see a lot of it on the internet and all that, but on TV and the guys that I met and started hunting with, you know, I wasn't hunting with family that much anymore. I was hunting with friends, new friends or, or old friends. Well, everybody was in, it seemed like in a competition for when well, I killed a, a buck with 130 inches, you know, better than you, that type of thing. And, and I was that way also, you know, that, you know, I'm past that buck because he's not big enough, you know. Yeah. You know, Michael Waddell killed a great big one. I'm going to kill a big one. You know what I'm saying? That's yeah. what we learned by watching the TV. And then social media comes along, and it seems like it just has it, gotten uh, more to that. It seems like, you know, everybody wants the, the picture of the giant buck, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and then I found a few years ago, well, I was living in um, Alabama, working out there, and uh, I started hunting with um, a good friend of mine out there on some of his uh, family property, and we were killing decent bucks, you know, and I'm, you know, a big buck hunter, you know, so I didn't want to kill young bucks or small bucks or anything like that, and we got into the, the whole uh, don't shoot, you know, small bucks and trying to manage property for big bucks and all that. Yeah. And, but now that I've been hunting with a stick and string for the last two seasons. Then I killed a, a spike buck with a longbow, not this season, but the season before. And I was more excited about that than I was about a big 130 inch 11 point that I killed in Alabama about four years ago. So I don't know if it's just a perspective thing. I'm getting older and, 
you know, and it seems like more of my hunts these days are involving my children. So I'm not as hardcore chasing bigger bucks like I was. I don't know. I don't really know why it's like that, but that's just the way that it's turned out for me. And, you know, it's. So then, like, as you, as you were growing up, did it, did it seem odd to you that people were, you know, coming from a family who sole focus was meat when Mm -hmm. that, when you had that transition kind of from meat to antlers, did that, was Mm -hmm. that a strange jump for you? No, I mean, it wasn't a strange jump for me because, you know, I had killed plenty of deer in my younger days, you know, so I just naturally thought that was a progression that, you know, that I killed, I've killed plenty of these little basket rats and I've killed plenty of does and I've, I've put a lot of meat in the freezer over the years. So I thought that was, you know, kind of like going from junior high to high school or high school to college, you know, it was time to, to what do you say, man up and, and yeah. kill bigger bucks and stop messing around, you know? But then when I would come home and visit like say with my dad or one of my uncles or somebody and they'd be like, hey, you don't need to worry about all that. Cause you know, you can't eat them horns. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, but it sure is fun to to play chess with a big deer and and kill a big deer, you know what I'm saying? So, I don't know, and I did kind of lose, I did kind of lose that whole thing about enjoying, you know, just going out and, and, and I don't really know how to put it, but not, not enjoy killing a doe, but when you kill a doe, it, it seems like you know it was didn't seem as as important gotcha. as killing a big ten point. You see what I'm saying? So, yeah. but now you know it's kind of like a a, a revival of sorts. You know, I'm uh, you know I've got a little harder equipment to hunt with, or if I'm hunting with one of my kids, and I do take a rifle for say, you know, and I shoot a doe, and they get to see that. You know, it kind of reminded me. You know, that that doe is is just as important as a buck. It's it's a living, breathing animal, just like that buck was. Yep. And she's gonna put food on my table just the same. So why did I think that it wasn't that big of a deal back then? You know. So I don't know. It's just kind of just kind of I've changed my way of thinking in the last couple of years. Now I'm not going sit here and lie to you and tell you that I'm not still after some big bucks because, you know, I chased two big bucks this year on public property. And I didn't get to kill either one of them. Some of those misadventures, you know, but, yeah. uh, it, but I was after them and I passed a couple of those and I never did, you know, I had a, a small basket back buck come in under me one day and I was hunting with a long boat and he was going to die, but you know, he kind of, he got spooked away so but you know so i don't know it it just seems like i'm enjoying hunting more these days than i did say 10 years ago when i was focused solely on killing a poker young size uh deer with my bow that's awesome that's awesome and does does changing from a compound to traditional gear kind of uh, 
did did that kind of change it for you because of the gear you were using? Um, I think that was part of it. And then my children getting old enough to go hunt with me was another part of it. Because I had the realization one day with my oldest son, you know, a, a deer, uh, I don't even remember if it was a small buck or, or a bow now, had, had come out and he's like, Daddy, shoot that one. You know, and I said, no, we're going to wait on a bigger one. Well, we waited until dark that evening and never seen another deer. And then kind of after that, you know, he was kind of disappointed that we didn't kill a deer, you know. And I kind of got to thinking about that, you know, if I had killed that deer with him there, that would have been better for him memory-wise than us passing it. But he don't, he don't know or didn't know anything about, you know, large bucks and what that means. He just knows that when he was, I think, maybe six, five or six years old that, you know, Daddy didn't shoot that deer. Yeah. You know, we were deer hunting, but Daddy didn't shoot the deer. You know, it didn't quite compute with him. So then it kind of, I kind of changed to where, well, if I take the kid, we're going to, you know, if we see a doe, we're going to take it, you know, and go for meat, you know, or whatever. And man, they just light up you right. know, when you kill a deer and they get to be part of that. So that, that might've had more to do with my change of opinion than, than changing from, compound to traditional because i really didn't change you know from compound to traditional overnight that's been kind of a 10 or 12 year progression really so but the, you know i think the kids my kids my children had more to do with me changing the way that i see killing deer now i still enjoy going on the days that i can go without them that's when i go to a bed area or something where i know a big buck maybe hanging out or I've seen one before or something like that or the big signs there and then do, you know, big buck type on. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then a little bit of traditional gear are transferring over to traditional gear a little bit, your kids. And then mm-hmm. did, you know, with this birth of social media and everybody mm-hmm. wanting to get their, pictures taken with a big buck did did that in any way turn you off to you know the, uh, the big buck lifestyle so to speak and then trying to go you know not necessarily take a backward step but i like the word you used revival like reviving the the hunter in you right right and no i guess it hadn't really turned me off i mean i guess there's parts of it that do when you know, when two guys get into a kind of a pissing match over who's better or something like that, I don't like that aspect. But, you know, there's a lot of guys on social media that are doing a great job of showing hunting right. in a good light. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. But there's also these guys that are, you know, they're shooting deer off the side of the road and putting them in the back of a truck. And, you know what I'm saying? Just bragging about it. And that's not, you know, I don't. I guess not that part maybe turns me off a little bit, but you know, but I enjoy, I really enjoy going on, you know, social media and looking at, at hunting, you know, it, it, it helps me experience stuff that I'm not going to get the experience or, or haven't experienced yet. Like say an African hunt, you know, I have friends that have been to Africa. I get to kind of live that through, through their 
uh, social media or out west. You know, I don't get to go out west very often, so I actually never hunted out there. I've worked out there a lot. So, you know, that kind of primes my pump, wants me to book an elk hunt or something like that. And, but yeah, so no, social media in the, used in the right aspect is good. Yeah. I mean, I would, I wouldn't know anything about you if it wasn't for social media. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's good to connect hunters, but it's kind of bad to, or some, for, for some, some of them, some people, and it's not just with hunting, it's with anything, whether you like, you know, classic cars or, or shooting or, or anything. There's always the ones that are putting stuff on there that's, it's not relevant or not, um, you know, not, not good for the image that whatever that activity is, you know, so. Right. So there's good and the bad. It's kind of like, you know, it's like raising brand. You got to chew up the good and with the bad. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Uh, so I want to, uh, talk a little bit about, your i guess we'll call it an addiction to archery because okay. when you talked you know you you talked to me before we started recording about this quote unquote office you have at your at your house and it's full of bows so right. what is it about archery that you just you find so intriguing well i guess that kind of started back when i was a kid you know um i had a I still have an uncle that he was into archery and he bow hunted and he took me to a a, a 3D shoot when I was, oh man, probably nine, 10 years old. Yeah. Back in like 89, And of course they, it was just the coolest thing I've ever seen. These guys were walking around shooting these targets with these bows and he had a little kid's bow and I could shoot and man, it wasn't loud. You know, it didn't make me jump like a, like shooting a shotgun or a rifle did because, you know, I grew up shooting. You know, I knew I knew how to shoot a gun, and I hunted with guns. But the the archery was, it just, it just I just really liked it, you know, because I could do that without, um, you know, my dad having to be with me. You know, I could, I could come home from school, and I could shoot once I got me a, a, a bow. And I can still remember that first bow was a, it was made by Robin Hood Archery, I believe, and it was a little compound bow. It was like 25-pound draw, and it had some eastern, uh, the autumn orange aluminum arrows with it. And uh, my dad got me a hay bale. I was like 10 years old, and I was out there just shooting every day. Yeah. And I loved it because I could do it. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't, you know, wait on dad to get home from work so we could get a 22 out. And then, you know, bothering him, if he, you know, get him out of his busy schedule to come sit with me to hunt. I mean, to shoot, I could just do this, you know, as long as, you know, mom was kind of keeping an eye on me, you know, make sure I wasn't shooting the dog or something, you know. Right. So it kind of started there. And then I got a, in like 96, I think it was, uh, before I turned 16, I got a, oh man, that thing was a high country safari. And it was like 80 pounds and it, I turned it back to the limb. I couldn't pull it back. And I took it to my office and we backed the limbs off, you know, where I could get it, draw it back. And I can remember the first time I ever went hunting with that thing. I had been practicing all summer and we went home hunting that October in 96. And I had an old climbing stand that my daddy had built. My daddy's a welder. 
So he had built this climbing stand, kind of patterned after the old Amaker climbing stands. But this thing was built out of some, you know, some iron. It probably weighed 40 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> so I drag it out there and I get it hooked to a tree and climb up, you know, and I had hunted a few times out of it with a rifle and all that kind of business. And I killed deer with a rifle by that age. But I climbed up there and I had that bow, you know, and I remember this little, like a four point buck, just a little yearling buck comes, comes up there. And I'm like, oh yeah, there he is. I'm going to get him, you know. So he gets out there and of course I didn't know the difference between 10 yards and 20 yards or anything. I just knew he was right there. And I remember that bow had like an eight arrow quiver, you know, I had it full. I was ready. I was like Rambo, you know, and I remember I driven back on that deer and I shot and he just, that arrow went between his legs. He just looked at it, smelled of it. And he walked around eating acorns and I shot again. I shot all eight arrows at that deer. Never, <laughs> never hit him. And he's standing down there walking around in between all my arrows, like, like traffic cones, you know, eating right. acorns. And I'm just like, what the heck? I said, how am I, what am I going to do? So finally, I had to, I took my cap off my head and I threw it at the deer to try to get him to run away, you know, because <laughs> I was kind of about half scared to get out. I thought he might be mad at me or something, you know, <laughs> to try to, you know, impale me or, you know, gore me because I was shooting at him. So, but he finally left. I got down and got all my arrows. Well, I was hooked then. Yeah. I was, I was determined. I'm going to kill a deer with this bow. I got to, you know. How old were you? uh, Let's see, that was opening probably the second weekend of bow season in October. So I was probably 15. I was just about to turn 16. I turned 16 in about the second week of October. So I was just right around my 16th birthday. Okay. So you're 16. You unload, (laughs) you unload eight arrows at this, uh, at this deer what was going mm-hmm. what can you remember what was going through your head at the time if you're like oh, archery sucks i gotta give it up or is it i need to practice more no. or no i was like you know i you know I, and i was i was a pretty good shot you know what i'm saying i had gotten to be where i could i could hit you know the the bullseye in in the yard you know of course i didn't know anything about you know shooting from a stand or judging yardage or anything i just had a little old three pin sight on there and I don't even know if they were really set right, you know what I'm saying? But in the yard I could hit the bullseye. Yeah. So I thought, well, this is like a gun. You just put the crosshairs on it and kill him, you know? Well, so I can remember thinking, well I've got to figure out what's why I can't couldn't hit that deer, you know. And probably the first shot or second shot I missed because, you know, my sight wasn't adjusted right. He might have been you know, out there, say, 20 yards, and I was been shooting into, at a hay belt, like, say, 15. Right. So, so, but the next six was, you know, looking back on it, that was all just because I done got frustrated and nervous, and you know what I'm saying? I can, I can distinctly remember by the end of that, I could barely get that bow drawn back to try to shoot at that deer again. Yeah. But I can remember thinking and remember, you know, being pretty mad that, I didn't kill it and thinking, well, this is dumb, you know, that I can't. So I can remember being frustrated, but I'm the type of person that when I'm frustrated with something, that makes me want to kind of conquer it. So I want to 
well, you know, it's not going to kick me at my butt, but once, you know. Yeah. So that's when my, I guess you'd say my education in the archery probably started. When I started looking for people that knew uh, something to say, well, you got to practice, you know, those three yeah. pins. You need those set at different yardage. You need to practice this distance, and then shooting's going to be different from a tree stand. You know, all the type, different types of things. Yeah. So then as you, you know, as you started getting a little older and you were basically teaching, teaching yourself archery, or did you have a mentor that helped you out at all? Well, I had, like I said, I had the the uncle that had that, um, that took me to bow shoots and he, he taught me a little bit, you know, just, but I wasn't around him a lot. You know, I mean, I, I was around him. A little bit we didn't live in the same town so so no i didn't really have i guess you'd say a mentor i just had blind luck and trial and error for most of it right and then and then that's kind of you know i was 16 and then um the next the next year is when i killed my first deer with the bow i was still it was i can remember it was opening weekend so i was still 16 it yeah. was just the following october right before my birthday i killed a, a doe and uh, i actually killed two coyotes um uh, i killed the doe one day and then the next day i killed two coyotes from the same tree stand. so then i thought i was robin hood you know? <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like but, what was it like killing your uh your first deer with a bow share that story with us oh man it was it was awesome. It was the same. It was the same deer stand, the same bow, same everything. I had. I remember. You remember the old uh, carbon arrows? They were like a little skinny shaft. Had the outsert on the end. You could get it to Walmart. Yeah. Back in the late nineties, kind of. Yeah. yeah. You can't. You know, they don't make them like that anymore. But anyway, that's the arrows I had got. And oh man, it's way better than any aluminum, you know. And then I had some old. Then ten dollar three blade broadheads from the Walmart, maybe Allen or something, you know, back then. Yeah. You know, we didn't we didn't have a sporting store near where I lived or anything like that. And my parents weren't gonna spend the money, you know. So I had had kinda of had everything dialed in, I thought, you know, I'd kinda of learned over that year between missing that one there how to shoot better. Well, we can um we'd never I say never, hardly ever baited deer when I was younger, rifle hunting, because we always wanted to sell land, and the public land that we hunt, you can't bait on. But on private land in Louisiana, you can't. So when I got into bow hunting, that's something that a guy that bow hunting had told me, was, you know, you need to, to feed the deer, and then when they come in, you know, that, that get them still and eating, that's when you can kill them. You know, it ain't like uh, the rifle where you shoot them on the first opportunity. You got to let them get there and, you know, get calm. So that's what the plan was. And I had a little uh, corn feeder set up there and just a PVC pipe, you know, at the bottom kind of got a hole in it where the corn just come out on the ground. And um, like I said, this is in 97, October of 97. So I'm climbing up in that old heavy climb of sand. I'm about... 18 feet off the ground. I'm sitting there. It's evening time. It's hot. It's sweating. Mosquitoes are tearing me up. And uh, I remember back then it was, you know, you had to have some cover scent. That was the big thing. So I had me a, a, a spray bottle that had uh, 
the synthetic coon urine or something in it, you know, it's supposed to smell like and I remember spraying that stuff, you know, all around me in these leaves I was up there in, you know, and, and they were just that stuff was just dripping and it was you know, it smelled horrible all around me, you know. And I'm sitting where these deer cross a uh, like a a, a branch a branch, you know, they there's like a little sandy creek and they and this is a lot of a cut through place where these deer cross that creek. We had that little deer feeder set right there. Well, I sat there, I seen movement. I look, here come, I see two deer coming, and they're about 80 yards out. Man, I, I, I'm nervous, you know, back like when I was a kid. I'm like, man, that's crazy. My knees are shaking. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get one, you know. Well, I remember that it was a doe and then like a yearling doe, a big doe and a yearling doe. And they, they come up the other side of that creek right out in front of me. I mean, they're probably 20 yards from me on the opposite side of the creek. Yeah. And they go down into the creek. Well, the, the first one was the little one. It went down into the creek and come out, and he went over there, and he went straight to that feeder, which was off to my left. Uh, you know, one of my dad's friends told me, you know, you set up on your bow on side where you just have to shoot. You don't have to turn and get all that kind of stuff, you know. So 15 yards, beer's eating. I thought, oh, this is going to be good. Well, so I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to figure out which one I'm going to shoot because, you know, I didn't care which one. I just want to kill. Yeah. Well, then the second one goes in the creek and comes out, and it goes over there. And then they kind of mill around. The bigger dough kind of runs the little one off. And uh, I remember sitting there, and I'm going to kill it big. You know, so I draw back, and uh, I get my pen settled there on her shoulder. And the, the deer flies and the skeeters are just terrible down there, and especially in October, you know. And that deer, about the time I touched the release, you know, that old bow sound like hit a wash tub, you know, <laughs> and that, that deer, she was turning her head back to scratch her face with her back foot. And I'll never forget that old little skinny carbon arrow went in her, it'd be her right hand temple of her head right behind her eyeball and come out the other side. And she fell over stone graveyard bed right there. It looked like Steve Martin with an air stuck out of her head. <laughs> wow. First deer I ever killed with a boat. I was I was holding it on her rib cage and she flipped her head back and scratched her nose and I shot her right through right in front of the ear. Right. So you weren't trying to shoot her in the head, but that's just what happened. No. That's yeah. what happened because she flipped her head over, yep. you know, between me and her vital. Yep. Yep. And, uh, man, I, it, it was, it was shocking. Quite frankly, I didn't know what was going on, you know? And it just, but it just I, dropped like a sack of taters right there. Man, just, just right there. Hit the ground. The, it was the dangerous thing I had, I had witnessed, you know, my young age and then, you know, and then, uh, the next day I went back in there and two coyotes come across that, that wash out. You know, I'd go back there and try to kill those, and I didn't have enough sense to know you're supposed to let a tree stand sit, you know, yeah. a little time between, you know. So I'd go back there and kill that other one. And I sat there and two coyotes come over there, and they were actually smelling that corn. One of them, I mean, one of them peed on my corn on that PVC pipe, and I was thinking, Joker, I'm going to kill you. Right. And I shot him, and he kind of went to swallowing and turning circles and, you know, acting crazy with the other one. When I shot, it ran back across the creek. Well, they didn't see this one over here, you know, throwing his spit. So it ran back over and jumped on it. 
So I draw down on him and shot him too. He went off into the bushes and I had to go find him, drag him out from down there. But I killed them two coyotes the next day. And man, I thought I was, you know, I was somebody. I'm, I'd better get my own hunting show. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so what, what was that experience like for you? Because um, that's one thing I don't typically ask a lot of people on this podcast. And honestly, I wish I would do more is, you know, you just shot your very first deer ever with a bow. What was going through your head? What was the, what were your emotions like? I can remember being in that stand, you know, remember it was that, uh, it was that, that heavy iron stand that my daddy had built. So I can remember being so shaken and, and so excited that I couldn't climb down from the, the tree in that climbing stand. I had to sit there, you know, this deer's dead. And I'm looking at her 15 yards. I remember sitting there and it took me probably 30 minutes to get to where I could come down. You know, and I'm, I'm a 16 year old kid. You know, I'm not, I'm not a real big guy, but I couldn't understand why I wasn't strong enough to get out of that tree. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Right. But it was because my guy just had that big adrenaline dump is what I know now. Right. And oh, it was just amazing. I, you know what I'm saying? I, I was, I mean, if I, if the missing the deer the year before didn't hook me, that hooked me. You know what I'm saying? It was, it felt better to me emotionally than any deer that I'd ever killed with a rifle. And I had never killed a, a big buck with a rifle at that time. I'd only killed, you know, smaller, a couple small bucks and, and a bunch of those, you know. But I, I, hear, I know I'll, I've always gotten excited after the fact whether i kill a deer with a rifle or shotgun or a bow or whatever but i was really excited about killing one with a bow because i was so you know i was bent on doing it after right. missing I, I was determined that was going to happen and it, i can just remember feeling so i don't know not relieved but just you know just glad you know that i had done it yeah. you know I, I accomplished what i was trying to do that seemed impossible. You know, that really in 97, when I was a kid here, nobody bow hunted. Yeah. There was not a large group of bow hunters. There was a few men in the community around here. But when we go to deer camp, or, you know, everybody rifle hunted. During bow season, you go to the public land and everybody was squirrel hunting. You know, there, you didn't see a lot of guys with bow hunters. I can remember being a kid and seeing somebody with a bow, you know, at, a, at the boat ramp or a parking lot or somewhere getting a boat and i think wow that guy's like you know a, he must be some kind of legend or something you know <laughs> you know what i'm saying so yeah that kind of i guess i was all hyped up over that that i had gotten there to you know i, I didn't none of my friends at school had ever even shot a bow and i just killed a deer with one you know what i mean right so it was it was pretty crazy back then i can remember it being you know i can remember people you know, like my uncles and stuff, you know, they were, you know, they're always kind of proud of you and tell you, you did a good job when you killed a deer back then. But it seemed like that was, they were really, you know, man, my nephew killed a big, killed a doe with a bow, you know? Yeah. And they were telling their buddies and my daddy was talking, you know, telling folks he worked with. And I was like, man, I, that's like hitting a home run, you know? So <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good. So you felt pretty proud of that moment. Yes, sir, I did. So then after that happened like you said the first year got you hooked but then you you were successful the next year 
And it, mm-hmm. was this something at this point where you said to yourself, I am going to bow hunt every year for the rest of my life? No, it not surprisingly enough. No, it, it I still hadn't gave up gun hunting. You mm-hmm. know, when the, the last week in October rolled around that bow, it got put down and I picked up the old 30 off six, you know, and it was time because I still, like I said, I was raising a family where, you know, back then the limit was six deer we didn't have tags or anything it was kind of like honor system and you could you know it was you know you got we need to get them six deer as soon as we can because you know we don't we're on dragging six deer out to january because we need to be fishing you know start getting nets in the creek and and fishing white perch and stuff like that when it's after christmas or around christmas you know so we don't need to be messing with the deer hunt no more so it was always a drive in my family to fill that freezer up you know right. pretty quick so when when the opening weekend of rifle season come in you know we, it was more like work you know if you ain't at school we're gonna get up and we're gonna go kill it there yeah. so you know and that might have been a i can remember being con, kind of some contention between me and my daddy when i was got to be about 18 and 19 and i'd come in from work or you know off being at school or whatever and i'd go hunting with him and uh come back to the truck and he'd be like well do you, what do you see you know uh, well i think a little six point and he said well, why didn't you shoot him I like, well, we need to shoot him you know he, he, he's all right you know he needs to grow and daddy'd get mad at me you know like, <laughs> you know i thought like, well you know i'm kind of seeing things a little different <laughs> but yeah. but I, that's when kind of my high my hiatus started yeah was you know when i was about 17 you know i figured out there was something more fun to chase than deer <laughs> and then uh then i got to you know got out of uh college and then got to working and traveling all over the place and i was kind of getting back interested in the deer you know i wanted to deer hunt because i was working you know i got to work in indiana and out in alabama and different places and i wanted to i wanted to hunt you know right and so i said man i really i really want to get a bow so i Back then, in the early 2000s, Bowtech was built. There was a man, as a matter of fact, the guy that kind of helped him out lived just like a mile from where I live now. And they used to build those bows uh, here in northwest Louisiana before they moved the company to Oregon, I think. Yeah. But back when Bowtech first started, there was a lot of proto- there's a lot of prototypes running around this town from the late 90s. And... Anyway, so we, I wanted one of them bows. So uh, I finally made me some few paychecks out there working, you know. And then I think it's 2001, I bought a Bowtech compound bow. And man, I shot that thing every day and just, you know, that was it. That's all I wanted to do. And that's when hunting got to be serious for me. That's probably in, in, the 2002 season, you know, and then I—that's when it really started. Yeah, that's that story is really similar to mine, because you know I I went to that high school. I you know I, I went hunting when I was in my younger ages. You know, like before mm-hmm. 14, then sports mm-hmm. and girls and college, mm-hmm. and then after college is to, uh, somewhere around 2006 is when I started getting 
back into hunting serious. And I remember my first, the first bow I ever bought with my own money was a Bowtech tribute in 2006. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I I shot that bow, I was like, this is a lot. Archery had, had changed in the, you know, the seven years that it, Mm -hmm. you know, that I, I kind of went away from hunting and I, once, once, I drew back. I let the first arrow go on that bow. I was like, "Oh man, it's it's on now." Right. Yep. And then that's what happened to me. It was like, "Oh yeah, this is it. This is all. This is what I want to do. I want to bow hunt." And I, I didn't pick. I didn't bow hunt or I didn't rifle hunt anymore until probably let's see, about ten years ago. No, mm-hmm. uh, it's probably about eight years ago. I guess my daughter was probably two. And, you know, we would, my wife would want to go and I'd take her and the, and the baby. We'd go sit in a box line here on, on our deer lease and with a rifle or something like that. And then when the kids got older, I'd probably pick up a rifle and go and see them because it was hard with some toddlers to try to pull off a bow hunt. That don't work. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> so we'd go get in a box line and, you know, get them all snacked up and let them fall asleep. And then we'd sit there with a rifle or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, I primarily bow hunted from uh, mostly 2002 until about eight years ago. So then, what? A, so then, archery was it for you? You wanted to be a bow hunter, but <laughs> kind of going back to the original question of being an archery addict. I mean, you told me before we started recording, you have like 40, 40 some bows between you and your kids. That's right. Um, so I completely got enamored with archery. I was shooting archery tournaments. I was bow hunting everything. It was big enough to shoot an arrow at uh, locally. You know, I was small and whitetails, pigs, whatever. And uh, man, I, I got I figured I found this thing. It was just the most amazing thing called eBay. <laughs> and man, hey. I started finding bows for cheap. I started buying them, and then I'm getting stuff to build arrows and build, you know, tuning my own bows. I never could find somebody to to work on my bow. It always seemed like when I needed something done on my bow, I couldn't find anybody. Either the store was closed. It wasn't really a pro shop around, so I had to go somewhere like, you know, uh, with a, a hunting or fishing store that had a, that had a few bows, you know. Right. So I got online, and I learned how to work on these bows for myself, you know, and man, I, me and my dad, we got up there and welded up and built a press, you know, and, and I still got that press right here in my shop today. And, and I learned how to work on these bows and build arrows and stuff like that. And then my buddies, hey man, you, know, you fletch me some arrows or can you do this to my bow or tie in a peep or, so I got to be the bow mechanic, right? you know, for all my buddies. And then, uh, that was, I was living in Alabama at the time and had a, man, I had my basement in my house. It was like a, like a redneck bow shop. You know, that was everywhere. Everybody wanted to come and, and do stuff. So yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm hitting a big time. You know, I didn't get me a store. <laughs> well, about that time, uh, we found out we were pregnant with our first child. And then, uh, you know, so that kind of pumped the brakes on, on the bow shop idea. And then my daddy was involved in a four-wheeler accident to where he uh, he hit an eight-point buck on a four-wheeler one night going down a, a gravel road. Anyway, he ended up disabled, 
And uh, so we moved from Alabama back home to Louisiana when that happened. And um, so I, I kind of mothballed the whole, all my equipment. And we were renting a place, and I had it in storage. But I still was shooting all the time. You know, I still had compound bows, and I was still shooting them a lot. Well, I kind of skipped a step. in before we moved back, I had got, man, I wanted a, uh, a traditional, I wanted a, a recurve or a longbow. So I started kind of pricing them. And I can afford one of the things. It's like $600, $700, you know, for right. a, a piece of wood. <laughs> you know, so I figured out online how to build one. So I started. You know, at first I started out with a, a bow that was kind of a you finish deal, you know, for about a hundred bucks. And, and I, and I followed all the steps and tillered it and finished it out. And I had a, a shootable longbow. Now it didn't shoot real well. It was kind of a lot of hunt hand shot, but man, I'm going to build another one. So I bought another one of those kits and I built one. And then I realized, well, this ain't nothing to this kit. It's just a pot in these woods together, you know? So I learned how to do that and built a little, light bulb oven where I could, you know, want to heat those bows up for the epoxy to sit and all that. I started gluing up my own blanks and building bows. Well, then that's when we put, that led into the time of when we found out we were pregnant and then uh, moved back home when dad got hurt and all that. So I, I put all that stuff in the storage, yeah. the bow shop and the, the traditional archery building stuff. You know? Right. So fast forward a few years, I'm still hunting with a compound and not really playing with the traditional archery a lot. Just a couple of old recurve bows that I take out in the yard and shoot every once in a while that I had bought second in from one place or another. You know. And then about six years ago, we bought the place where we live now, the little eight-acre farm, and it had this building that I'm standing in already here. And man, we bought it from him. This is like his office where he worked from worked out of it yeah and it's just a it's a, it's a standalone building about 16 by 24 you know nice little building and air conditioned so I, man i can unpack my stuff you know and get my my toys back out so man i, I loaded this thing up it's got all my hands and, and, and archery stuff and man there's piles of arrows and there's bows hanging on the wall and everything and I started tinkering back with, you know, building some of these longbows and and that kind of, man, I want to, I was getting to the point where the, my compound bow, I would hunt with it and then I would pull it out and I'd go out in the yard and I'd shoot it two or three times and, you know, you hit that little dot every time and then, well, let's get that recurve and let's shoot it, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it seems to be more fun. But yeah. I wasn't confident enough to hunt with it. But I'd go out there and shoot. I shoot my compound just to make sure that I could, it was, you know, still shooting right. Nothing changed, and then I'd shoot the the recurve longer, you know, yeah. at each session. So I found a longbow that I really like at a pawn shop, and I bought it and got it. And I started learning how to tune um, traditional archery gear better you know uh getting the right spined arrows and and getting them to shoot where i was looking and, and all that kind of stuff so and i got to where i could hit with it and then um you know i learned about some some ways to aim a traditional bow you know i don't have any sights on anything but you know different types of 
aiming methods or whatever. And, and I got pretty good where I could, I was pretty much hitting what I wanted to every time I shot. I'm going to start hunting with it. So the year before last, I, I went hunting one time with compound and then I decided, you know, I'm hanging this thing up and I'm going to, I'm going to hunt with this longbow until I kill something with it. Kind of like I did back in the day, you know, right. I, said, I just, I, I want to kill a deer with this, with this thing, you know? So I started hunting with it and I, I killed the deer with it that year. A little cold point, young buck, and uh, man, it's just I ain't been able to put it down since. <laughs> so, would you consider but, yeah. yourself now like strictly trad, or do you uh, take the compound out for a spin every once in a while? Well, I don't know. I think I kind of accidentally um, slipped into strictly trad. Yeah, I just. I just bought a my first um, aluminum riser uh, bow, and it's a it's a Hoyt Buffalo riser, and it's got uh, border limbs on it, some super curved limbs, and it's man, it's it's crazy fast compared to like the longbow I was shooting. Right. And I actually, my son is eight, and he's kind of getting into he wants to shoot all the time now, and. I've been taking him to some 3D tournaments and letting him shoot a little compound bow that he saved his money up bought. And I've been taking, you know, traditional gear to, to the 3D shoot. So, yeah, I think I've kind of backed into traditional archery, whether I realized it or not, as being my primary, you know, choice now. Yeah. Is there, did you feel any greater sense of accomplishment when you harvested that buck with your trad gear as opposed to? Uh, a compound bow you know i've i've killed quite a few deer with um a compound bow those both a, a few nice bucks not not no great big 150s or anything i think the biggest one i would kill with a compound bow is about 130 and then of course i don't really score i don't know how to score and all that business too much but when i killed that See my biggest buck with a compound. I was excited, you know. I was. I remember watching him come down the field and being excited when it was happening, and excited afterwards. And but when I killed that small buck with the longbow, I I didn't. It happened really fast. He just kind of came out of a thicket right under me, and I kind of in one motion I stood up and drew and shot and. And I was, I was remember feeling kind of shocked that the arrow was in the deer when he ran away, you know, because that's the first big game animal wide I shot with one. I'm like, wow, you know, that, that just happened. And I can remember feeling excited, just as excited as when I killed that big deer. Yeah. Now, if that four point had come under me with a compound, he may have got a pass or I may have killed him. And then it would have kind of been like business as usual, which is kind of after thinking about that after over you know since then it kind of is what made me think you know why did why if I would have shot that four point with that compound bow wouldn't I have been as excited as I was when I shot it with the long bow or when I, I shot the bigger deer because that four point was. I mean, he just as important as a big deer to, you know, yep. in the, in reality, he's a buck, he's breathing, you know, and yep. well, I took his life. So, yeah, it, it's, 
I don't know if I was more excited, but I was as excited about that four point again, like I was when I was younger. When any beer mattered me back when I was younger, and now that I got to the you know hunting for you know show antlers, something to put on the wall, then it you know it didn't seem like those deer mattered as much. Yeah, and you know so that's what. You know, I know some guys that had young kids, young boys you know, that are teenagers, and and they have killed some, you know, nice deer. I know one man, his son, like 15 years old, and he kills like this buck that's like in the 170, 180 class with a rifle. And I'm like, where does that kid go from there? Yeah. You know, he he thinks that he has to do better or not do it, you know. How does he get that feeling that I knew when I was a kid, when I was ecstatic over killing a little doe with a bow? You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. So, so I don't know. I feel like, you know, we we mentioned revival. I feel like, you know, there needs to be a revival in this country of kids enjoying killing deer, not hunting horns. You know? Right. I, been at a archery tournament or uh, something, you know, and and you hear teenagers that aren't old enough to drive yet talk about, well, I let him pass because he he was only a hundred thirty inch buck or he was too young or something. I'm like, why in the world would somebody your age let a deer like that walk? Right. You know, it doesn't make any sense. Right. That's you know, and then I don't know. That's my opinion. Is it just we need to teach kids to enjoy hunting again right and to be honest with you that's the future of hunting heritage is our children and that's exactly right what we are doing today in my opinion is ruining the image of hunting making it some type of ranking system or elite system you know right where, where mm-hmm. it's all you know your your what makes you a good hunter is the size of the antlers, and that's bullshit, if yep. you ask me. Oh, it's, yeah, you're exactly right. It, you know, it's it's about so much more that I mean, that's only a tiny part of yep. how I feel about hunting mm-hmm. is the antlers. I mean, yeah, I've got racks hanging here on the wall, and I've got deer, you know, that are worth being mounted. I, you know what I'm saying? I've got nice bucks, but you know, there's those does that went into that freezer and fed my family. They're just as important. Yep, absolutely. And I'm going to tell you, two of the hardest deer I ever killed were does. Yeah. And I I intentionally set out to kill them because, you know, that old gal, that she stands out there and she looks at your tree stand and she picks you out and then she tells, tells on you every day. Yep, absolutely. You, get, you know, you get aggravated you say she's got to go man those are some of the hardest deer in the woods to kill right you know sometimes they're harder than the big old bucks because they don't ever get they don't slip up like a big buck a big buck gets into the rut he might slip up that though she ain't got no reason to slip up right absolutely man well i tell you what what's the you know we're getting close to the ending time here but how how old are your kids now Let's see, my oldest girl is 10. Okay. And then and then my oldest boy will be 9, uh, June 29th. 
and then I have twin boys that are five, and then my baby girl is three. Nice. Well, I tell you what, it sounds like you have a uh, a long future or a, a busy future ahead of you teaching all those kids the way of the woods. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, uh, before before we end here, I told you about I wanted to do uh, some misadventures. Okay. So, uh, if you want to hear a misadventure, I got one for you. Let's hear it. All right. So, this season... You know, I, I did. I was hunting traditional. My my friend Daniel, he hunt was hunting traditional. We're kind of new with this yeah. um, hunting this way. You know, he's really new, and you know, I've been fiddling with it for you know a few years. But as far as hunting traditionally, I'm only two seasons into it. Yep. So we go down into this public land, and we I found a draw where I, I killed a pig this year with my um, longbow. And we were going to go in there. I'd seen some deer sign and seen a few deer. We were going to go in there and hunt. Now, I had, I was on back order. I had ordered a Kestrel, uh, Arrow Hunter Kestrel. Yep. And it wasn't in yet. Saddle. So, yes, yeah, right. The tree saddle. And that's how I hunt now is mostly tree saddle. I don't hunt tree saddle as much anymore. But the, so we were going to go down there and just kind of steal hunt and hunt from the ground. Um, and maybe sit in a brush top or something like that, kind of split up on each side of this creek that goes down this, this draw. Maybe kill some pigs, pigs in there, stick. So we go down there and we hunt all morning. And uh, we're we're slipping through there, you know, wind in our face. Well, it must be about 9.30 or 10 o'clock, and we decided, you know, I think he had maybe had something to do, and I had stuff to do, so we couldn't stay very much longer. So he's like, well, you know, let's, He's out for the truck, you know, so we're going up to this bottom where we get, you know, we got these recurves, we can shoot stuff, you know, so we're picking up out of pine cone, we're shooting at it over there on the ground, or we're picking the clump of grass and shooting at it, just something shooting, you know. And I remember we come out on the trail, it was a, a fire lane where they cut the fire lane around the public land and it had burned in there for about two seasons. So we get out to this fire trail and there's an old five gallon bucket there and we, we shot it, you know, and we're, we're feeling good and shooting good. So we come up the road and we go down, you know, it's up and down these hills. And uh, we get up almost, we're within, i say, 80 yards of my, uh, I got the soil floor on it. And it's parked right there. I pulled off the dirt road into the end of the fire plow, you know, to get off the road. And the fire plow kind of makes a, uh, a right hand bend up to my truck and then where, right at the start of this bend there's a pine stump right out here in front of us about 18 yards and you know it's kind of got the old crumbled up uh, wood at the bottom and then the, in the, in the top part of it is just sticking up is uh, the heart of the tree the old hard yep. pine heart is just sticking up you know yep. well Daniel we, we we walk up there and he sees it. He draws down with a like a judo point or something. He shoots and he hits the, the top of that little heart snag. Just didn't stand up there. It's about four foot off the ground. The top of it, you know. And he hits. It. I'm like, oh, I can do that too, you know. So I draw back and, and I've got a an arrow that's weighing about 500 or nearly 600 grains. You know, big old heavy arrow. Yeah. Big 200 grain tip, you know. And, about 160 feet per second, you know, just, I draw back and, man, I'm zeroed in on that thing and 
I released the string. That arrow went straight to the tip of that pine snag where I was looking. It was beautiful. Right. Hit it, and then that arrow. Now, granted, I'm looking at this and say that snag that that uh, pine stump is at my 12 o'clock where I'm shooting, and my truck's parked. What would be about 2:30? Okay. You know, up in front of around this little bend about 80 yards from it. That arrow hit that pine snag and glanced off and it made a big rainbow at about a 60 degree angle. It went right up that firefly road. You know, I was watching it me and Daniel in slow motion and it went right into the grill of my four-wheel drive forerunner. Man, a smoke cloud, a steam cloud, or I instantly thought radiator steam cloud just boils out of the front of the truck. And I remember standing there, Daniel's looking at me, just shaking his head. He says, only you, you know, and I'm standing looking at this stuff just blowing out of front of my truck. And I'm thinking the most absurd thing I'm thinking, now why is my truck still hot enough for the radiator to be boiled? Cause we've been down there since before daylight. So I'm like, what the heck? So we walk up there and he's just ribbing me and, you know, laughing. Well, I'm laughing by now. He ain't nothing you can do about it, but laugh, you know, right, it's funny. right. So we walk up there, and it's like this oil just running off my front bumper. And my arrow's laying on the ground, and I pick it up, and I look in there, in the grill, and I can still see a little bit of stuff spitting out. I hit the dryer can. It's like one-inch diameter, and right. maybe six-inch tall. Right. Air dryer on the air conditioning system. I hit that thing about a quarter-inch from the edge of it with a 200-grain cutthroat broadhead, and punched a hole in it and evacuated all of the Freon and compressor oil out of my air conditioner. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? How did that even happen? Uh, I, did, I, did, I didn't bust the grill. If it would have went a half inch to the right, it would have went through the radiator and the automatic transmission cooler and into the front of the engine somewhere. Right. So, I, it, yeah, so that's that's how most of my hunts go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, I uh, I don't have any story that good, but I tell you what, I've shot my kid's swing set a time or two where uh, either I shank a shot or I uh, or it goes through the target and skips and when I'm shooting right. close range, and then I you know I got a couple <laughs> holes in the slot, the plastic slide in my uh, my kid's swing set of course of course i'm not shooting while they're out there but you know right right well see like um and and i'm kind of bad at social media i'm trying to get better but i didn't i didn't have the for the the mental fortitude to pull my phone out and 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 you know record all this when it happened but i was at, i was at home last summer i had taken my son jackson and we had went to a little archery tournament one of the first ones he'd been to and i can remember i kind of i didn't shoot so well and i think it was just being around people yeah but with that longbow and i come home and i wanted to shoot some more so i got out of the truck and i thought i'm gonna shoot a long shot down there to where my target is in my yard and where my truck park my truck and where the target is i drew back it's probably 45 yards you know a poke, you know, and I drew back and I shot. And when I did, I heard pow. And then I see a geyser. And then I instantly remembered there was a water faucet 
between me and that target from this angle. <laughs> <laughs> so I shot a PVC pipe on a on the water faucet in my yard, and that guys are going on there. Well, you and need then, to. It sounds I, to me like you need a <laughs> wide open space with no like nothing around. Right. Right. <laughs> yep. And then you know, and the, it, I don't know. It, it all gets to be pretty entertaining. And that's what you know. Uh, my buddies, you know, we we go somewhere. And they're like, "Well, what kind of adventure are we going to get into today?" I was like, "Well, you never know me, but <laughs> you get what you pay for, and it's going to be free." <laughs> But yeah, we we have a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you do. <laughs> sounds like uh, you got a awesome future with your kids in front of you. It sounds like your uh, your love for bow hunting and archery in general is very strong. And uh, man, keep me posted. I'd love to have you on the podcast again sometime. Well, certainly, yeah. I mean, we can get into some more serious stuff. You know, maybe uh, some of my trials with this. Uh, Saddle hunting deal. I've actually been hunting from a saddle since back in the trophy line days, probably oh five, oh six. So uh yeah, kinda got some insight on that. I don't like I say I don't post a lot of stuff. I'm not as active on the forums and the social media as I could be. And then but yeah, and so shooting or tuning or anything like that, yeah, I'd be I'd love to do a podcast, you know, some, some technical stuff if you, if you'd want to. Heck yeah. And there it is, ladies and gentlemen, an end of another podcast next week. My friends, I will be traveling to Northern California with the wife on uh, kind of a, I don't want to call it a once in a lifetime trip, but a trip that's not going to happen very often. I am taking my wife on a honeymoon to Napa, Sonoma region of California where all those wineries and stuff are at. So it's just kind of treat her nice, let her know that she's important. And uh, on the back end of all that is it's a continuation I'm using it as a bribe. It's a continuation of me being able to go on some of these Western hunts and go spend two weeks in the woods and all that stuff. So uh, we're going to celebrate my wife this upcoming week. And uh, I'm a huge fan of adventure and travel as it is. So please uh, check out all the different things that I'm going to be doing on Instagram uh, because I'll be posting there as well. However... It's, uh, it might not be 100% about, about deer hunting, but, uh, I like a little variety. Anyway, huge shout out to Hayward for this podcast, man. I really, again, I really love podcasts like this, uh, and hearing, uh, those kind of stories really, really cool. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast. And they are, I got my little piece of paper in front of me. So I don't forget ripcord wasp. Ozonics, Lone Wolf, Deer Lab, Exodus Trail Cameras, and now new Prime Archery. We're going to have a podcast about that coming up fairly soon and uh, kind of the transition from Gearhead to Prime and uh, that whole story. And uh, there's been some people who've called me a sellout because they think that prime has cut some big check for me but uh that could be further from the truth and uh we're going to share that information on a podcast coming up in june uh and that's going to kind of revolve around 
like the inside of the hunting industry and partners and uh, you know assumed loyalty versus business and and all this stuff so uh, we're gonna have a podcast like this also I want to announce right now the winner of the Glacier Cooler, and that is a gentleman by the name of Ace Rice. And Ace Rice, you have won the Glacier Cooler. So what you need to do is reach out to me with your email address, your physical address, so I can get my buddy John Mulligan on the phone and give him that information so he can ship you the cooler that you want. And last but not least, ladies and gentlemen, QDMA, the offer for the QDMA for the Nine Finger Chronicles listeners is still in effect. It's up and running. So go to QDMA website right now, Quality Deer Management Association website, and I want you to sign up for a one-year membership and enter the promotional code nine finger that's the number nine followed by the word finger and you will receive ten dollars off of that membership which takes it from thirty five dollars to twenty five dollars and i think we're we're done here except for one last thing and i do it every episode because it is very important to me that if you are going to be in a tree please wear your damn safety harness have a good weekend